Can I just call you Ben Heck? You can just call me Ben. <laughs> well, I am Ben, though. It's we. Yeah, I discovered I have a problem tonight because we have two Bens. Oh no, we can call me Ben Hacker. Hacker. You're the only one. <laughs> I am the last one. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, no. uh, let, me, let me do my version of that. <clears throat> I am the last one. Curse, that's not from Highlander. That's actually from Dragonheart. I know. Yes. Uh, punch those keys. <laughs> Dragonheart from the director of uh, Fast and Furious, Rob Marsh. No, not Rob Marshall. Uh, Rob Cohen. Yeah. That You're the guy. man now, dog. So I see Ben Carver, <laughs> Neil Purcell, and Pablo Preno. Yes. yes. Uh, Pablo is a bit of an animation uh, uh, guru. He's actually a, a real living, breathing animator. With, that worked with real living, breathing animation. So I like having him on the show because he has a lot of technical expertise. Oh, cool, cool. I'm the guy who makes the boring stuff happen. Yeah. <laughs> he makes the magic happen, you know. Makes no difference who you are. That's where the magic happens. What 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 other cartoons have you been seeing lately, if any? I, I don't know if, you, if you're a big animation watcher. Well, I... I, I, I'm not like an animation aficionado. I mean, I guess I, I, I just I enjoy animated movies if they're good. So I'm not like some people who are like, you know, they won't watch an animated movie. You know, they think it's just for kids. I mean, it's certainly not the case. Um, shit. So I usually see most of the mainstream movies or at least see them on uh, Netflix. So I guess that's about it. But I certainly have opinions on Iron Giant. That's very good. That's very good. And I can tell you my theory about how uh, How to Train Your Dragon is... Uh, basically a remake of Iron Giant. I, I realized after I watched it. Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of similarities, actually. And it's all based off the video game of Boy and His Blob. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny. Well, maybe we, this would be more in the podcast. But uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, so yeah, I'm not going to talk about like, uh, you know, Kurosawa or any of that, but uh, not Kurosawa. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it was Seven, Seven Samurai. But yeah, I don't know. I have opinions on it. And, you know, I like to check out stuff. I like to follow it. You know, it's sad when yeah. Disney... Disney ditched 2D and sold all the desk to Pixar, but it's cool that they brought it back. Although I don't know if this is going to sound sacrilegious, but I think that market may actually be dead, unfortunately. Uh, the, the market's not dead; they just don't know how to how to resuscitate it. It is not an X market yet. Well, I think you know I, you see some. There's some 3D movies like uh, the first Ice Age, for instance, and it's basically completely generic. I mean, had that been a two-dimensional movie, no one would have gone to see it. So I, I'm not saying the market's how do I put this? People have an animus against it, uh, certainly. I mean, like I said, that what was it? The Princess and the Frog that did like a hundred million in U.S. That's not too bad, actually. Yeah, it's uh, I have still have not seen it yet, and I know that's very bad of me. Of course, you know, fourteen years ago, a hundred million dollars was a lot more for a movie to make, and that was considered not successful for like Hunchback of Notre Dame and uh, Hercules. So. You know, the bar is actually a lot lower than it was, so I guess that's actually not that good. But... Yeah. Oh, that reminds me. Speaking of uh, animated films and just reading about the shuttle, can we talk about Disney's Atlantis movie, which is kind of another overlooked movie? Sure, we could do that. Sure, yeah, 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 that. yeah. Let's 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 talk let's talk about Nadia and Secret of the. Oh, what? Whoops. Hey, the first twenty minutes so... of that movie was pretty good. The rest of it, yeah, was kind yeah, of yeah. Nadia, Secret garbage. of the Secret of the Blue, yeah. Um, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna grab another beer, but then we'll get started. Okay. 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 All right. Yeah. Sorry, Neil. I just <laughs> Kimba. I mean Simba. 
<laughs> Remember, that Atlantis movie is a part of Gargoyle's continuity, Neil. Oh, we can bring that up on a later show. Greg Weissman did it to himself. Yeah, but we got a cool guest tonight. He will be back after this. Tooncast is dedicated to the cartoons we grew up with. 100 episodes and more make up one of the GCRN's most popular podcasts. Join hosts TFG and Mike, Optimus Solo, Terror the Rising Star, and tons of guest hosts. We also have voice actor and writer interviews. Tune in to Tooncast as we look back on the cartoons that defined us as geeks. You can find Tooncast on iTunes and the web at www.geekcastradio.com. Tune in. Oh boy, oh boy! I love this movie. I actually rewatched it just today, just to get the love back. I'm back. What did I miss? Nothing. We're just we're just making jokes. I was I was telling Ben to behave himself. <sighs> yeah, Ben, behave yourself. Oh, not that bad. Okay. All right. Uh, welcome again to Animation Aficionados. I am your host Ben, and we're joined by my co-host TV's Mr. Neil. I still function. And uh, we have us, uh, we have joining us uh, again, Pablo Prino. Hey there. And of course, our very very special guest, the one, the only, Ben Heck. Wanna bet? <laughs> right, that was the next line. Yes. In the that, that was. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff, scream. Yes. Uh, Here's our comedy. <laughs> then Orson Welles shows up. He's like. I will do anything for wine money. <laughs> yes. I have the sick feeling at the bottom of my stomach that Transformers Dark of the Moon will be Leonard Nimoy's last movie. Oh, no. Wait, Leonard Nimoy is in Transformers Dark of the Moon? Yes. Yeah, he, he, he's a Sentinel Prime. Well, that's a neat surprise. I gotta tell that to my boy. Nah. Well, he, at least he didn't die a week after recording all of his lines. Yes. <laughs> yes, and uh, tonight we will be talking about one of the greatest animation classics of the 90s. That nobody ever saw. The Iron Giant. Yeah. Uh-huh. Directed by Brad Bird, who also did Ratatouille, The Incredibles, and a little-known short from the 80s called The Family Dog. One of the greatest animation directors of our time. And now he's an- directing the animated Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible 4, Ghost Protocol. Yes. <laughs> That's true. He's, ve- he's very animated. You know he can fly, right? Oh, I, I reckon he can. So, yeah, that's right. He- Rat Chef was uh, 18 months away from release, and they fired its director, and Brad Bird came in and saved it. Yeah. Somehow. It's actually, that was actually pretty decent, Rat Chef. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that... Is that what happened? I, I was kind of wondering about that because it, it's definitely one of his weaker films, but I still like it. The ending is kind of, I don't know. The ending is like they get shut down and then they open a new restaurant. The end. And I was like, wait, what? Well, the restaurants <laughs> open and close all the time. I mean, you, you just, just watch a Gordon Ramsay uh, reality show and you know, you, know, you know more about the restaurant industry, Neil. Okay. I didn't, know, I didn't know chefs could curse so much. but It's uh, hard. It's hard to think of Patton Oswalt uh, when he did the. Uh, uh, you guys ever hear the movie um, uh, Deathbed, the bed that eats? You ever hear that movie from the seventies? No. It was this unreleased movie about a bed that would eat people. So it's various hippies would like, you know, lay on the bed to like sleep or eat or make love, 
and then the bed would suck them up and dissolve them. That was it was a horror movie. And there's Pat Oswalt did a whole comedy skit where he talked about deathbed. It was pretty funny. So <laughs> I can't think of Rat Chef without thinking about that comedy sketch. Okay, sorry, but we should talk about Iron Giant. Directly yes, Iron, Iron Giant is also one of the few times early on in the in CGI where the CGI doesn't look like a tech demo and it's integrated near seamlessly with traditional animation. It's a part of the biggest reason why this works is because they kept the same color palette with everything. And this is something that people who animate should really do if they ever wanted to mix it. Same color palette, people. It's that simple. Well, they also had a uh, error-inducing algorithm that would actually cause jitter and inaccuracies in the line drawings of the giant itself. So right. it actually would appear more hand-drawn. Right. Oh, but, cool. the, but the biggest thing for me was the color palette matched. You know, that, that's, the, that's the first dead, dead giveaway. Well, all the movies since Rescue Down Under have done, and, you know, like a digital ink and paint system. So it shouldn't be rocket science to make the colors match. Uh, you'd be surprised at how bad it is. I mean, just just earlier we were we were watching a uh, a more recent cartoon that was mostly traditional animation, and then they throw in this 3D animation right in the middle, and it's obvious. Well, the 3D animation of Iron Giant. I mean, he was he, he was a 3D object, but he was basically flat shaded. So you know, it wasn't like deep canvas or uh, the ballroom scene in Beauty and the Beast. He was meant to look like he was a 3D object meant to look like a uh, 2D object. Which actually harkens more back to the 1980s when Disney would like uh, do. They'd had a few scenes in their movies where like the gear sequence in uh, Great Most Effective. So I think that's one of the reasons it worked. Yeah, that's exactly why it works because they actually because they try to make it look like it's part of the same world, not try to use it as a shortcut. Because trying to make it look like it's part of the same world, it actually takes longer than the let's use it as a shortcut method. Right. I think wasn't that also the first uh, CinemaScope uh, animated movie since Lady and the Tramp, I believe. I believe it is, yes. Mm. Yeah. And uh, the story is the story is uh, very good. It's a uh, it, it's you know it's 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 a typical it's a typical story. It's almost uh, early Zemeckis esque, I would say, with you know you know young boy, uh, almost Spielberg esque, I would say too. You know, young boy, uh, single mother, their you know. giant robot, yeah. Single mom played very well with Jennifer Aniston. I mean, you got to remember she was like probably like twenty seven when they made that. Yeah, and that movie. Uh, and the uh, giant robot played by Vin Diesel, whose name <laughs> whose name is awesome. I imagine Vin Diesel gets half his jobs by just na- saying his name. You guys see uh, the fourth Fast and the Furious, and he like jumps a car and he hits at some guy, and then he just is in his car and he says pussy. It has no connection <laughs> to anything. It's not like he's calling the guy a pussy. It's like he's thinking about pussy. <laughs> it's, well, it, you know, I think I think, is that his real legal God-given birth name, Vin Diesel? I don't. Probably not. If it is, then his parents are awesome because it's like he's, he sounds like he's named after a supercharged truck fuel. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he he does sound like that. I just wish Vin Diesel and uh, Dwayne Johnson would just pick up more machine guns and make a real like you know '80s kind of movie again. Maybe yeah, Fast Five was like that. I don't know. Yeah, because it wasn't rated R. But you, you know what? They the, both of them should have been on the Expendables. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, maybe they will be. Yeah, who knows? Okay, but uh, like I said, I just love the heck out of Iron Giant. It is uh, the animation itself is stellar it's amazing it has this very it has a style that 
lets you know immediately what era this story takes place and it it's yeah the very first shot of the movie is sputnik floating through space in orbit yeah it I mean, th- that's that's what real good visuals are, where you can tell when the story takes place by just looking at the visual. It, You know it. You know it. You don't even need to see a calendar to know it. You just know it. Well, you mentioned Lady and the Tramp earlier. This movie feels like someone went back in time to the, like the 50s and 60s, plucked a Disney movie out of the rotation, and just brought it back to the 90s and said, here it is. Because <laughs> it doesn't look like any other movie animated in the 90s. Brad Bird went out of his way to make a a classic style movie. Yeah, and uh, really, you know, it's uh, you know, this, you know, the the, the shame of it is I th- I think he did a better mo- better animated movie than uh, Don Bluth of the same era. Wow. You know, of the I, late 90s? Well, yeah. Uh well, wait, when was the last relevant Don Bluth movie anyway? Like yeah. the, first, the first Land Before Time, you know, before I think there were so many fucking sequels. Can I say that word on this? Oh, yeah. We, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we, we, there, we there gave was, up a long time there ago. There were so many sequels to Land Before Time, and it's now the land. It's now in the future it takes place in. <laughs> Seriously, there's like 23 sequels to that goddamn movie. Bluth isn't responsible for any of them, though. <laughs> I, I know, I know. They, well, they, yeah, they, he, they, he made Dragon's Lair, you know. He's responsible for that. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. Well, you know, they, they wheel a dump truck full of money at his door and say, can we make some sequels? I mean, he's only human. Right, right, exactly. What was it? What was the last movie he made? Was it Titan AE? Was that right? That was, that was the last one he went out on. And uh, you know, if if he had another chance, you know, then I think he was try- he was trying to get a Dragon's Lair movie made a few years back, but I'm not sure what the point of that would be. Well, it's, it's kind of like the Smurfs movie. It's about thirty years too late. Although I'm sure Smurfs will make money. Unfortunately. Well, what'll happen is the kids nowadays don't give a don't know what the hell it is, but people my age who you know we were into Smurfs were like, oh Smurfs, this is something I enjoyed as a kid. I will take my kids to it. Equals Chiching, Siaso, Alvin and the Chickmunks. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be a terrible movie. Yeah, it's well, gonna be. Patrick Harris, I like that guy. Yeah, but yeah, it's uh, Iron Giant is. Oh right, really Iron... one of, If I had a top ten animated movie list, it would be. In the top three. Wow. Is that a little too high for you, Neil? No, I, I'm I'm not saying that. I was just, wow, the, uh, that is quite a praise. No, well, it's it's a great movie. I mean, uh, yeah. Iron Giant, if if I if I sit down and watch it all the way through, it, sometimes it almost makes you cry at the end. It's that good. Yeah. I mean, well, it's a really good movie. And that's the best thing it's, any it's, kind yeah. of movie can do is elicit that kind of reaction from the audience. It, yeah, it, it gets to the scene where the kid, where the kid's looking up at the giant. He's like, "I love you," and you're like, "God damn it, Brad Bird!" Yep. And then, <laughs> and then, then when he hits the missile, of course. You know what's the part that makes me cry all the time? When Ben Diesel says Superman. Yeah, that, that's yeah. my part. And well, that, you are who you to be, Superman. It's that movie weird. also had a it had a really good score, which is something sorely lacking from most movies today. I mean, if you think back, it had a great it, the musical score was great because so so many movies just have like some Hans Zimmer half baked generic you know music riff track score. It's it, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's not it's not just the movie itself, but the score is really what makes it work. I mean, look at E.T. E.T. had a great score, and that was one of the reasons it was so successfully emotional. Yeah, it's uh, I, I I just gotta say right now. I did not connect with E.T. when I saw it. And I still don't connect with E.T. because just something about it screamed wrong in my brain. 
I, I do not get the ET love and all that, and I'm ex- going to expect a lot of comments and emails because I said that, but I'm sorry. Oh, ET's a solid movie. It still is. Uh, it's a solidly made movie. I agree with it, but it didn't elicit an emotional reaction for me other than boredom. Hmm. It's because they use Reese's Pieces instead of M&M's. That was, that was back when Steven Spielberg would end a movie instead of dragging it out for 20 extra minutes like he has with his last eight films. I think he's actually still an interesting filmmaker, but... You know, E.T. at the end, E.T. flies away and Elliot just looks up and it's like, oh, Elliot's become a man. Bam, movie's over. Just like that. Yeah. That well, would have been Elliot. If it was a modern Spielberg movie, Elliot would have gone home and like rummaged through his toy box. And find something that E.T. left behind for him and smile yeah, fondly. And, and smile fondly. <laughs> and then well, there would have been a lens flare. Oh, wait, that's J.J. Abrams. Well, you know what? You know what's proof that uh, Steven Spielberg lost his fucking mind? Indiana Jones 4? Well, actually, Shia LaBeouf. Because you know why Shia both has a career, right? This is the last time, Neil. Okay. It's <laughs> because Steven Spielberg keeps on telling anyone that will listen that Shia both is a young Tom Hanks. <laughs> I will say, I actually thought Shia Booth was one of the least terrible things in Indiana Jones 4. That's not a... Really? I, I think... That, that's a backhanded praise the right wor- there. The, the worst thing that happens in Indiana Jones 4 is one shot. One shot, just one shot of the refrigerator. Movie. No, I actually was fond of the refrigerator. The, the prairie dog. No, goddamn God CGI, CGI looks fake. Monkeys. Oh, oh. What, what about the monkeys with the greaser haircuts? <laughs> I was talking to my camera person about this the other day, and she hadn't seen Indiana Jones before. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, it's actually some parts. It could almost be a decent movie, but. The parts of it that are bad are bad enough to make it horrible. Yeah. Because yeah. not all of it's horrible, but the parts that are, are. Like, the the fridge. I mean, that is, first of all, the entire scene in the, uh, you know, the nuclear bomb test so- town had no purpose in the plot whatsoever. All they did, some artist in the, you know, you know storyboard department said, ooh, I drew this picture of Indiana Jones looking at a nuclear explosion and Spielberg's like, we got to put that into the movie somehow. And so they made a whole scene about it just to make that happen. That's exactly what happened because what happened was, you know, you have all these artists drawing concepts. The whole idea is Indiana Jones in the fifties, nuclear age and all that. Mm -hmm. Somebody probably just doodled that. And then Steven sees it and says, Oh, we need that. And also we need the young Tom Hanks in this movie. That whole scene had nothing to do with the plot. Oh, okay, we should talk about Iron Giant, a better movie that takes place in the 50s. What was it, 57, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah and the, the difference I like between Iron Giant and E.T. is this. In E.T., the, the, the military and the government are portrayed as assholes. But in Iron Giant, at the end, the military are actually the good guys. Uh, they were? Yeah, remember well, the, 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 the general was totally, was, totally, was totally awesome. Well, they were they were they were victims. They weren't antagonists, I guess is how you could yeah. put it. Yeah, the one government asshole. Yeah, well, he's more of a pencil pushing bureaucrat, but the general, the actual soldier himself, was awesome. Oh yeah, can't argue with that. Because ah. he knew it was a mistake, and he was willing to die for it because that, because because that's what it was. And and the oh, after the after what's his face fired off the uh, yeah the missile yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, let's see, I guess we, we kind of jumped to the end of the movie there. I know, but I'll just bring <laughs> up why I like that more, like Iron Giant more than E.T. Yeah, well, let's see, uh, what else happened in Iron Giant? So, there is the well, beatnik character, who was like the surrogate father in the movie. Then, 
Let's see what else happened. Well, you know, Lilo and Stitch had a lot of similarities to Iron Giant, although, you know, I don't think anyone in the right mind would think it's a better movie, but it's... Hey, yeah, wait a no. Then Lilo and Stitch was directed by How to Train Your Dragon, which basically was a remake of Iron Giant. Think about it. It's like, there's like a guy, and then he finds this thing, and it's like really dangerous, but then he befriends it, and then everybody wants to kill it, and then he uses it to fight off a even worse force. And then there's like explosions too. I guess that's similarity. Yeah, that, that, that almost Iron, sounds like Transformers. I thought it was cool in uh, you know Iron Giant really, you know not only uh, aesthetically they set up the time period, but you know he was watching horror movies and um, you know they had diners and I don't know it just it seemed really authentic and and way. coffee cups they got the coffee cups right. The coffee cups really. Yeah, the the coffee cups in Iron Giant. You don't remember the coffee cups? I remember the the coffee. Well, cups. there were. I'm sure there were coffee cups. I didn't realize that they were right or wrong. Well, it, the, that that style of coffee Ooh. cups from that style diner have to be a certain kind of coffee cup. Oh, I don't even drink coffee, and I know this. I thought uh, Jennifer Anderson. I I mean, I'm sure not all of us her, but uh, that character was done really well. I don't know. Some she's. She played like a single tired mom really well, you know, for like a 27 year old, you know, hot young babe or whatever she was back then. Uh, yeah, I thought. And you had Harry Connick Jr. as uh, the hipster Dean. Uh, what's oh his name? yeah, no beatnik. So that was so he didn't drink PBR. You know, he was a beatnik. He wasn't a hipster. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get, gotta get acquainted with your 50s. Uh... Lingo, daddy O. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's see. What else was good about that movie? Um, well, what was good about it is what was missing from it. And it's something that I've bitched about in a lot of movies. And it's the fact that the origin of the giant is never given. Ah, Ooh. yes. Yeah, it gives, you, it gives you a mystery. Of course, now that I've said that, they're going to make Iron Giant Begins. Iron Giant 2, in the beginning. Well, you know that's a very that's a very good point. There's there's never enough mystery in movies, and even when there is mystery, eventually it's ruined. Like uh, that alien prequel that they're making for some goddamn reason, you know, Prometheus, right? Yeah. yeah. The rumor is it's something like it's kind of like a chariot <laughs> of the gods thing where these aliens created man, and we go there. That's a premise, I guess. And so basically, some alien race was delivering a ship full of alien eggs. To come and destroy Earth. Yeah, so the they're, space, they're, the they're space, going to explain the space jockey. Yeah, basically. the space jockey who has a giant trunk and is like melted to this, his chair or something. Right, but I'm just saying they're going to explain that. It's like, oh, it was a very cool set piece that created a lot of mystery. But you know, I don't think that was ever meant to be a living creature. In you know, I know Rid- I know Ridley Scott, and I think that that was never meant to be a living creature. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, I need another couple million. Let's make it a living creature. Really, I, I always thought it was like a pilot or something. I know, but I'm just saying that you know the way it's like oh, like the skeletons fused to the chair. You know, I, I I think that. Oh, give me a break! Ridley Scott probably couldn't draw a map around his block on a napkin. It was H.R. Geiger that did that. Uh, yeah, that's true. And Geiger <laughs> is creepy as all fuck. <laughs> yeah, but but the point the point being, yeah, there's never. There's never enough mystery left. And yeah, didn't he? He basically just fell to earth at the beginning, right? Yeah. He had, yes. he had the dent on his head. It's like, what happens? Like, who knows? I mean, some of it's sort of revealed at the end when they have the action sequence when he gets upset. I mean, you kind of expect that anyway, but uh, it doesn't. It still doesn't really explain much. 
Well, it doesn't have to explain anything because all you know is that it, this is a strange visitor to our world, and uh, and the first person it meets that it befriends is is this boy, and and through right. this boy it learns the best of humanity, and I think that's the most important message because because like like I said with ET, I mean the you know they have this whole almost alien autopsy scene that's that's this terrible traumatic thing and. And humans are assholes, District Nine style, and all that. It's, you know, I hate the humans are assholes trope with movies about alien visitation. Why can't you just ever have, you know, what, what happened to you know, uh, you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Bum, bum, I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, I, don't know if, uh, I, I I didn't like really construe ET as being uh, humans are assholes. I mean. Because literally, if that did happen in real life, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm sure the government wouldn't even be that. Um, how do I put this obligatory toward you know, it, it, it would probably be a lot worse. You know, I got to go with the monsters versus aliens scenario. <laughs> what, what, what about what about cowboys versus aliens? Hey, that's just big, dumb fun. Oh, we could get into a whole argument about um, how like, you know, how, like nine out of ten movies these days is about aliens. I've always wondered if that it's like something political, like it's it has to do with the um, zeitgeist of the era. But that's probably beyond the scope of this this conversation. Because you think about it, like we had a bunch of alien movies under Clinton, then we had a bunch of like you know uh, Iraq conspiracies in the Bush years, and now we're back to aliens again. So we did well, have aliens in Iraq. Uh, we did. <laughs> what movie was that? First Transformers movie. Oh, uh, I knew that was wait, coming. Wait, but robots aren't aliens; they're robots. Uh, well, I, I could say the aliens, the alien robots from the movies are aliens. I can't. Well, I guess they are alien robots. Yeah. What about transmorphers? They're fugly as, as hell. Um. Okay. So where were we? We were talking about. Oh, we we're talking about ET and Iron Giant. Uh. Yeah, but the thing that's cool, I guess, I don't know. Is this? Are we, is there spoiler warnings? I guess anyone, should, you know, people. Should... It's, it's 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 almost it's isn't it. 10 years old by now oh it's been over 10 years yeah, it's yeah like, so, it was 99 when it came out so so yeah it's uh, it yeah if you're if you're listening to this expecting not to hear spoilers then the, the thing the thing that's interesting is um the evil government agent or whoever that guy is you know he's so upset about this robot and you know he has the line he's like who made it the russians the chinese i don't know i don't care and you know, so it really, uh, it's really about uh, you know the, the the paranoia of that era, and but then kind of the the twist is at the end um, when the Iron Giant thinks that his friend is dead, the little kid, he becomes oh, enraged. God. Yes, he becomes he he becomes enraged, and it turns out he is actually a killing machine. I mean, that's like a great twist, and you're like, oh, and you feel terrible because it's like it's like he's be, like this rehabsing alcoholic or something that like, goes around like. Trying to destroy everything. And, and by the way, he is named after the 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 producers did name the kid Hogarth after the famous comic book artist Hogarth. Ah, but uh, anyway, the point is, um, you know, the whole movie like they're like, oh, you know, he's not he's not bad, he's not bad. But then it turns out he actually does have the potential to be bad, and at the end, he chooses to be good. I mean, that's the ultimate the ultimate. Uh, message of the movie is you know self-determination yes yeah it's it really is one of my favorite movies it's uh it, it hits me right here yeah what about that what about that scene um it was kind of weird um uh 
it's like they're in the junkyard and Hogarth is talking to him about like people dying after they see the deer die. You know, which is great because, you know, everything in that movie is set up. You know, like when he gets hit by the train, he breaks, but then he can fix himself, which, of course, sets up the end, you know, of yeah. the movie. Yeah. And then he sees the deer die. So, you know, it sets up the fact that he knows he understands what death is. So when he thinks Hogarth is dead, he thinks, you know, he remembers the deer. And that's why he gets upset. Yeah, so he, under, all- he understands that it's not like who, what he is where he can repair himself when if, if Hogarth dies, Hogarth is gone. Right, right. But um yeah, it's really weird because, you know, they had the part where um, uh, Hogarth is talking to him about, like, life after death and having a soul. And it's kind of weird because, you know, most mainstream movies, uh, you know, really don't get into religion that much. But, you know, back in the 50s, you know, a 10-year-old boy would probably ha- would have been really raised religiously and he would talk about souls. Yeah. And it's just kind of, you know, it makes perfect sense. But even for a modern movie, you don't see that that much, even though it's perfectly normal, you know, they usually shy away from religion. And I'm not, I'm not really saying this is a, you know, support of religion necessarily, but it's just, um, it's interesting to see because it, it makes sense. You know, that's what, that's what the kid believes. And, uh, that he would talk to the, to the robot about that. And that was, a, that was actually a really touching scene. Yeah. And I, I think that that's one of the strengths of the movie and, and it treats everything natural because, you know, not having that in there would not would not be natural. It, it would feel like, you know, when you watch later parts, it feel like something's missing because, you know, these uh, these producers and executives w- would like to shy away from stuff like that. That could be any bit, uh, you know, construed as a leaning one side or the other. And right. Well, one thing that happened was um, uh, Warner's had their uh, uh, they had that movie Quest for Camelot. Because, you know, okay, after Disney started making Mookle Megabucks in the early 90s with, like, Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast and Lion King, every studio and their brother launched animation divisions. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Fox had the Don Bluth movies such as Fantasia or Anastasia or whatever the hell it's called. And yeah. Warner's, Warner's had one called Quest for Camelot. And it, they, it, they, it was like this, you know, generic, you know, movie. And it, you know, lost a bunch of money. So basically what happened was... They basically were like, well, screw this. And they basically left the Iron Giant team alone. They're like, you know what? Just they didn't micromanage them to the ground. And of course, they didn't have very much. I think they made that movie for like, what, $30 million? So they did very little money. Yeah. And so people, the, the people working on the movie actually went in and like on their own time to make to, to finish it, which is pretty remarkable. But that shows how much they believed in the story. But my point is. So because the previous movie had lost so much money, Warner's just kind of gave up. So they didn't micromanage Iron Giant into the ground, which I think is one of the miracles of why it. I mean, I think Warner's is actually a, they're more of a hands off studio than others. But, um, yeah, I think that's actually one of the reasons it turned out so good was that it wasn't, you know, designed by committee into the ground because they'd given up at that point. And, of course, then shortly after they shuttered their whole division. But Thank you, Quest for Camelot, for sucking so much. <laughs> What was interesting about that uh, about that junkyard scene was that it was a response to the scene in Bambi where uh, the mother dies, and then immediately the next scene after that is Happy Go Lucky. They they actually took the time to reflect on on death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it was really well done, and you know nothing. It wasn't really preachy either. You know, like yeah. you know, it's in the 1950s and someone shoots a deer, and it's not like oh, he shouldn't have done that. It's just like nope, the deer is dead. So it was basically. Yeah, it was. It sets things up, but again, it wasn't preachy or you know, having trying to have a message of any particular kind. It just stated things as you know, fact. It was you know, honest and simple. But it's still that doesn't mean the point can't be brought across. Yeah, it's yeah. very well done. Yeah, it's uh, Pablo. You have any thoughts on the technical aspects of the movie? 
Well, I can say that up to this date, I, it, I, I still can't understand why people get CGI wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's it's incredible. I, I love the retro design that they have because it's not only a movie that's set in the 50s. It is also a movie that uh, has the few, uh, looks at science fiction the way that the 50s did. It's not like if Giger's Alien showed up or one of the Bayformers showed up in the Iron Giant. No, no, it was a, a 50s evil alien robot. That was great. That's a good and, point. Yeah. And also, the, it's, I, I like the designs too, because the, the character designs, they have the body shapes of the 50s. Yeah. The Stone character has the, the hourglass figure. Uh, you don't get to see that these days, sadly, in animated features. They're, they're all trying to be... They're, they're turning more bland each time, if not overly stylized. Just mm. seeing a pinup figure in an animated movie, that's great. Um, not to mention I love Hogwarts uh, animation in the face. Well, he's Brad Bird is... Uh, if I had to imagine, he's probably like... His early 50s are the latest, but it's probably... Oh, God... I guess it probably just kind of, you know, harken back to his childhood. I would, I would assume some of that was probably an influence, you know, like the style. I mean, like one of us couldn't really make a movie about the fifties because we didn't grow up in it. Well, that reminds me, uh, the movie I was working on up until last Friday, uh, it's called Anina. It's a local animated feature film here from Uruguay. And even though the dates are never stated anywhere, uh, it, the whole team uh, works as if it was set in the 80s. That was our childhood. Uh, all the, there are many things when it comes to the art style and some of the stuff that happens there. For example, it's a story where there are no cell phones. Uh, they're never addressed at all. It's, uh, it's something that you're very fond of. It's great. The team does work in a way that goes yeah, okay, I remember this, yeah, I enjoyed this. Remember that time we did this, that, that? And we go back to our memories in order to work with it. And I believe it's the same with the Iron Giant, that if they were kids in the 50s, it was like, yeah, this is what I'm fond of, this is what I remember, this is the way it was. Um, the nostalgia glasses. It's yeah. It's nice to make a movie through nostalgia glasses, instead yeah. of just remembering a movie through them. I don't think it's just nostalgia. I mean, one thing, you know, when you, you know, it's like, again, wait, you know, going back to the alien thing, we have all these contemporary movies like about Iraq, which doesn't, it's kind of weird because, you know, we didn't have any contemporary Vietnam movies back in the 60s. But when you have enough time to look back on an era, you can look at the 50s and you're like, okay, this is 40 years later. Or what do we, what do we, what was the, what, what is our impression or what do we get from the 50s now? And we think, okay, well, it was, you know, economically prosperous, but it was a very, um, you know, we were afraid of communism, and of course, we were afraid of you know uh, nuclear bombs. Or the '60s, you know, freedom, uh, civil rights, hippies, whatever. '70s, gas prices, Nixon. But my point is, um, once you've gotten, you know, the, what you can do, what you can use with an era in history is, if you want to use the, um, I hate to sound like a film film critic, but the zeitgeist, the spirit of an era. I mean, you can really, you can really use it to your advantage. Like, okay, when we say, okay, here's the story we want to tell. 
what is the best era to put this in? And with Iron Giant, if you want to have like a conspiracy and, um, you know, paranoia about foreign objects, the 50s is a great era. It just fits. You could tell the same story today like Leo and Stitch did, but it doesn't have the same prism that or the prism of magnification of the issues that it does by setting it back then. Yeah. I like the part in Iron Giant where um, he's at the uh, drugstore and he's like, the agent's like, ever hear of Sputnik? And Hogarth's like, yeah, it's the first satellite in space. And the agent goes, foreign satellite. <laughs> just to point that out. See, Hogarth is just impressed by the technological achievement, but the agent, he's obsessed with the political achievement that it's a foreign satellite. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's very, um, it's yes, I think it's, it definitely is, uh, behooves the movie to be set in a different era. Yeah, it's definitely one of my, it's definitely, it's definitely so well-crafted that, you know, there doesn't need to be a sequel. There should never be talked about a sequel. It is perfect as is. Yeah, yeah. That's why when I saw Incredibles, I know a lot of people jack off over it, but I wasn't terribly impressed. I mean, it was a good movie, but I mean, compared to Iron Giant, it just wasn't as good. So it's all right, though. Yeah. Too much talking, is, though. I, I I think, you know, I really don't have anything bad to say about Iron Giant. And really, this no, is okay. the kind of movie where we don't really want to give too much of a play-by-play because this is a movie that has to be experienced. It's a really good movie. I mean, the um, basic premise of it you've seen before and things like Lilo and Stitch and E.T. but it's so very well done if you're a fan of animation at all you really need to dig it up and check it out because it is probably the best animated movie you've never seen although I think Hunchback of Notre Dame gets doesn't get enough credit but since I think we're finished with the Iron Giant let's go ahead and end the episode guys and I'll just say number one I recommend this movie Neil do you recommend this movie duh it's available on Netflix streaming. Netflix streaming is less than ten dollars a month. People, do it. I think Pablo. it's eight dollars a month. Actually, it's less than ten. That's what I said. So, Pablo, do you recommend this movie? I highly recommend this movie. Mister Heck, I have at least one copy of the movie, so I also highly recommend it. So, if you have not seen this movie, what the hell's wrong with you? Go yes, you can't even call yourself a person. How does it feel living this long without a soul? Yeah. Souls don't die. (laughs) So so this has been... TV's Mr. Neil? I know. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. Oh, wait. TV's Mr. Neil. You have that site where you reviewed one of my movies, didn't you? Oh, yeah. A long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's gone now. We we, we should talk about that. Your your review is pretty funny. (laughs) And uh, Ben. Oh, uh, uh, Ben Heckendorn, star of the Ben Heck Show, and uh, yeah, that's me. All right, and good night. Night. Bye. Soundwave, jam that transmission. Rumble frenzy, ravage rapid, inject operation interference. No, there will be no operation interference. I am TFG1 Mike, and you should be listening to my very first podcast, the TFG1 Podcast. 24 episodes covering the entire U.S. run of the 1984 Transformers cartoon. I also have a few supplemental episodes and an interview with Stan Bush. I bring in guest hosts who will be full-time co-hosts in Steve Megatron and fan of the show now co-host Pecan Court Michael. So check out the TFG1 podcast. You can find it on iTunes and the web at www.geekcastradio.com. 
transform and roll out. And Bye. now starts the post show. We'll call this the lights out segment. Oh my god, okay, I'll bring up the hose. Oh, I'm sorry, downloading new drivers for my video card. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Alright, uh, what do you think of the Wii U? Um, well, I was thinking about, like, you know, selling a few kidneys to buy the controller. <laughs> so you're, you you just want you just want a Nintendo branded tablet then? Um, <laughs> I was being a little facetious. Uh, I never was a fan of the Wii. Uh, it's it's well, I don't know. I like I don't know. I just never was never was a fan. I mean, it has a place, but uh, I mean, I think it's good that someone's actually made a, a tablet uh, a tablet a console that has good specs. I mean, uh, allegedly it has. Oh God, it has. I'm trying to think. It has 512k of work RAM and one gig of video RAM, and it's roughly equivalent to like a Radeon 4800 series video card. So, the graphics of it would um, easily blow away a PS3 or an Xbox 360. Mm. Yet we're still talking about like three years behind the curve. You know, I actually grew up with an Atari. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was actually my dad's Atari. It wasn't even a, a game console. It was a an Atari computer that happened to have a game slot on top. Which one was it? Was it 800 or the 400? It was the one with the silver keys on the right side in a row. That was the Atari 800 XL. Okay, it also came with an optional disk drive. In fact, all the games were on on big floppy disks. We played yeah, it was the was the cartridge slot two metal things that opened. Yes, yeah, yes. that was the 800 XL. It was mostly black, white, and silver. Yeah, I love that thing. Yeah, I, I have I, I, I have my 800, my beige 800 right over there in the corner. I still have it. I think I still have it in the closet somewhere. It's a good computer. I mean, it's not as you know spec wise is not the Commodore 64, but yeah, I, I also I think we also have the uh, the old uh, tape drive that came with it, where you put an ex- actual cassette tape that holds data in it. I don't know how that works, but it does. It's just encoded in uh, sound format, like an old modem used to work. Okay, uh, I don't know. I'm not doing anything with it. If I can dig it up, do you want it? Sure, I'd take it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was really neat. I had one of my customers um, sent me. Uh, Oh, what was it? I, he sent me a brand new Atari 1050 disk drive, which is probably the disk drive you have with your Atari. Yeah. And uh, it was literally, it was, it was, it was like mint condition. When I opened up the disk do- door, there was a paper representation of a disk in it that said, um, "Remove this after shipping." Wow. Wow. So. Was was it was it like was it actually almost hermetically sealed to where it was still white? Yeah, it's in pretty good condition. It was Damn. the box. The box is a little beat up, but yeah, the disc drive was in pretty good condition. I was pretty excited too because um, I had when I first got that thing when I was eleven, I had a ten fifty drive. Then that died, and then when I was around twenty, I managed to get up an eight ten drive, which is actually older. Then that died, so then a client sent me well, a ten fifty drive. I was pretty excited. So yeah, I just I just remember playing all these very fun games on it, like. Uh... I remember this one game called TGIF where, you know, it's like this weird weird, weird thing where you pick a day of the week and each day of the week was a different mini game. I don't know if you know this one, but... No, I'm not familiar with that one. No, it, it was a really weird game. I also remember this other one where, like, you're running around in a, a, a tomb, in, like, an Egyptian tomb, and you only have X amount of time before a mummy comes out and starts chasing you. Oh, that might... Was that Montezuma's Revenge? And it was a mummy. It was not... Uh... Oh, did you ever play it in the uh, Lucasfilm games they had on that? They had Lucasfilm had some very good games. I remember uh, Star Wars where you, you where you see the uh, S foils on the sides of the screen all at all times. Oh no! Um, in around 1983, uh, Lucasfilm. You see, Lucas Arts used to actually make games that didn't have the word Star or Wars in the title. 
<laughs> and bef- before they got on to like you know the Tim Schafer years with Monkey Island and all that, the good and, stuff. Yeah, and the Scum Engine games. They actually made four games for the Epic Computers, and uh, they were really very advanced games. I mean, you, to see them now, you wouldn't. I mean, they looked pretty impressive back then, and you know they used uh, fractal graphics and ray casting on an Epic computer back in 1984. So, yes. Cool. Oh, well, we were talking about the Wii, I guess, right? <laughs> well, I, I just, I just love, I just love tech. It's a, you know, I have a. I have a I have an Android tablet. I have an Android phone. I'm a very big Android advocate. Yeah, I, I got I picked up. Uh, I was trying to use the Android Arduino ADK, mm-hmm. and I picked up a Nook Color, which you can actually root into a pretty awesome Android tablet. You don't even have to root it. Actually, you could just you could just boot off of the SD card. Okay, yeah. Unless it forms into an actual Android, you gotta stop calling it Android because my mind keeps making fantasies about it. Yeah, for two hundred fifty bucks, it's pretty awesome. I mean, it's got it's got very good specs. Actually, it cost Barnes and Noble like two hundred bucks to make it. So it's. I wondered if that wasn't the case. If they like, almost took a loss on it in order to just get you to buy the books. I think that was the idea. I think that I think that's the idea because it's actually pretty good specs. But I, my uh, my tablet's the Asus Transformer. Oh, I've heard of that. There's more than meets the eye with this with this. Uh, uh. <laughs> so when you watch your tablet, can you tell what the hell is going on, or is it a bunch of shaky cam nonsense? <laughs> <laughs> I like this guy. <laughs> yeah, Pablo's not a fan of Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. I heard that to accommodate the 3D and like the um, the latency of vision, he increases average shot from 0.5 seconds to 0.75 seconds in the new movie. I was I was gonna go see the third movie, but after seeing the second one, my IQ dropped precariously low, so I couldn't risk it. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't hoping, do that and drink. What? I'm still, what movie, I'm still hoping for a movie that's called Transformers that actually has Transformers in it. Well, they did make one of those. It came out in '86. <laughs> yeah, what I understand is these stupid Transformers movies is why do these giant mechanized robots even need like puny little soldiers to help them? It's so stupid. No, of course, I, what I'm wondering is how after the first movie you get to see guys with just you know, uh, you know machine guns or something shooting at Megatron and Megatron going oh damn it oh damn it, stop it stop it ow 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 <laughs> yeah. you, need, you, you needed those mega extra hyper hot bullets that came from planes to actually damage Scorponok. and did- you're trying to tell me that you actually. Can harm Megatron with a handgun? Okay, that's that's well, it's it's a fair shake better than the innumerable alien movies where they always have a force field. I hate that. I mean, <laughs> I'd like to just see a movie where like at least at least they shoot bullets at Megatron and they hit him and maybe dent him a little bit instead of like, oh look, the aliens have a force field. Uh, it's such a cop out. That's why Battlestar Galactica. You know that the nuclear bombs hit the ships and it's like. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna have you force field, suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's another polarizing series. <laughs> yeah. Well as long as we don't get into the Star Wars versus Star Trek. Oh no. It's also polarizing. Well, it's it's just so I obvious. They should be they should be pit against each other. They're completely different things. Well, Star Wars is a is a is a high fantasy story told with uh, rockets instead of dragons. So, yeah, 
Just oh, like that... how fantasy football is Dungeons and Dragons for jocks. <laughs> <laughs> Except they don't roll through dice. They pert near do. <laughs> they, they watch how someone plays and use the stats as a basis to, I don't know, uh, conjure up the fourth realm or something. I heard about a Smallville uh, role-playing game in which you actually had to even choose what actor is playing your character. Oh, God damn it. But uh, no, the biggest offense for me about new games now is uh, I, I hate what they did with the Grand Theft Auto series because in the latest one you actually have to like make friends and actually in the game go watch a movie with your new friend and hang out with your friend or else your friend won't like you anymore. <laughs> I'm like, what is this bullshit? I thought you were supposed to like steal cars and shit. You have to go watch a movie. They don't they don't make you watch a Peter Jackson movie, do they? <laughs> well, for as boring and tedious as it is, it might as well be. Uh, well shit, the new Transformers movie was two hours and thirty five minutes long. I was at uh I was at uh, Maker Fair in New York last fall. And I know a couple of people from Rockstar, and they stopped by my booth, and they're like, "Hey, how's it going?" We talked for a while, and and I and I was like, "Yeah, so I played your Grand Theft Horse game," and they're like, "Oh, how'd you like it?" And I'm like, "Well, it had one improvement over Grand Theft Auto 4 is that there were no cell phones a hundred years ago," and they laughed. So I think they realized that was kind of a point of contention. Yeah, and uh, by the way, it's uh, because I worked at GameStop Corporate. They actually had a huge fucking stack of. Uh, uh, Red Dead uh, Undead, Undead Nightmares just standing at a table there for Xbox. and I grabbed one, but I gave it away because I don't have an Xbox. They had a retail version of that downloaded thing? Well, no, it was it was promotional only. Oh, oh, yeah. It has all these stickers on it says not for sale, blah, 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 promo item only. And... Well, if, if I knew, I would have grabbed one on my way out today. I just finished L.A. Noir last week. Talk about Uncanny Valley. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's... Actually, I, shit, I think the faces in that look better than your average Robert Zemeckis thing. So, oh, God. Why, why do they look so fake? I don't know. They look pretty good, I think. No, I mean, in Robert Zemeckis, why do they... Why, the thing is, 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 like, every few years, he's like, okay, we can try again. And then it's like, no, not yet, Robert. He used to be such an interesting filmmaker, but now he's made this uh, this motion cra- ca- capture stuff for like 10 years. It's like, what happened to the guy who made like Contact and used cars and Forrest Gump and Back to the Future? And even Death Becomes Her was infinitely more interesting, if you ask me. Although I kind of yeah. like Polar Express, but still. Actually, Beowulf. You know, actually, Beowulf, the last 20 minutes or so, that was pretty exciting, I thought. I'll, you know, yeah, yeah, I thought... I am the darkness of the light. I am Beowulf. Tell you what, I like Beowulf a lot more than Avatar, because at least it wasn't 10 years long. And oh. at least it wasn't a 10-year-old story. Yeah, Dances with Wolf. Oh, actually, no, Fern Gully. No, Avatar... it's uh, actually, actually uh, Dances with Samurai. No, have you watched Fern Gully, like, in the last, since 18 years ago? I have I, I've seen it, but, you know, I, I think Avatar, actually, Avatar ripped off a book. I, I heard that I, I'd never seen Fern Gully, and then it was on Netflix streaming. I watched it after I saw Avatar, and it's actually a lot closer to Fern Gully than even Dance with Wolves. I mean, I'm not saying it's not highly derivative. I'm just saying it's actually more derivative in that direction. Well, uh, it's Pocahontas with Fern Gully uh, <laughs> with the substitutes. 
that's what the movie is. Ah. Uh, yep. I, I, I did a, a kind of sort of podcast called Spoilers just about Avatar. That's the only the only time I did it. And I think I explained it pretty well. But yeah, it's... Yeah, in the... I don't know. I, I think Cameron lost it. Yeah, I mean, I uh, Cameron used to be one of my favorite filmmakers, and you know, I'm a I'm a male with a penis, and I'll even admit to liking Titanic because it's a very well made movie. But with a new drawing scene, well, yeah, but it's it's a well done <laughs> movie. But the um, I went to the midnight 3D IMAX showing of Avatar. I mean, I, I was pumped, and I was just like bored. And I mean, he still directs action better than anyone. I mean, the action scene at the the action at the end of Avatar, yeah, you can tell exactly what's going on. Especially, I watched it again on Blu-ray off Netflix just to give it another chance. I didn't hate it. I was just like, why does everyone think it's so good, you know? And, I mean, after watching, like, you know, Michael Bay shit, I mean, Cameron puts action scenes together, like, just very eloquently. You know where everything is. You know its relationship. You know all the spatial positioning is great. But it's still, the middle of it's, like, just boring as hell. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know what the sad thing for me is? I've, I've watched the most movies I have ever in the last four weeks. Uh, let's see, I watched Green Lantern, which was shit. I watched <laughs> X-Men First Class, which was actually a lot better than I thought it'd be. I watched uh, I watched Transformers Dark of the Moon, which... I wasn't bored. That's the best I could say about it. I well, wasn't bored. Yeah. Did you see Super 8? Was that any good? I did not see Super 8. I, I, I'm just against uh, portraying the U.S. military as assholes. and Oh, oh, I didn't know that military was assholes in, in uh, Super 8. Yeah, it, it's that old trope. It's, it's that well, old trope. I heard that in 20 years, J.J. Abrams is going to remove all of the all the guns and put walkie-talkies into Super 8. Uh, oh, Super 8. Now I get what movie you're talking about. <laughs> you know what the funniest uh, thing for me is? I, is uh, I a friend of mine was very excited about it. I saw the teaser trailer was like, eh. And a friend of mine was like, please let it be a return to the classic 80s movies. And I was like, oh, that would be great. And then, well, they say it's E.T. again. Yeah, friend, but... Uh, a a but, friend of mine told me that he's like, Ben, you should see Super 8. Really, you'd really like it, but... Eh. Well, so I don't see movies opening weekend. I don't see them until Netflix. Yeah, well, I'm I'm definitely going to go see Captain America because it's because they had the, they have the perfect director for that movie. You think oh, so? Yeah. It's the guy who directed The Rocketeer. Oh, I know who he is, but I don't know. I'm not 15 Rocketeer, anymore. Rocketeer, come it's on. More Jennifer Connelly. To, I don't know. I mean, Jennifer I Connelly is like the best thing ever put on celluloid in Rocketeer, but I don't know. I, I watched it later, and I yeah, I want Captain America to be good, but I have a feeling it won't be. Sorry. I think it will be just playing good. It won't be outstanding or anything. It's just going to be a, a nice movie. I don't think it's trying to be anything more than, than that. And well, I, that's, I think I think the biggest problem Marvel has is they have this. They have uh, AVA rats saying you have to make everything tied together. You have to make everything tied together. Okay. Oh, make- you mean like Iron Man two, the Marvels? I mean Avengers point seven five. Yeah. It, it. You know what? And and people gave the director flack for that, but I know it wasn't his fault. Oh no, that's why that's why he uh, jumped ship and you know now he's directing Magic Kingdom instead because yeah, he just yeah. I know that was well, like, I know I know people blame him for it. I'm like, dude, that's all everything above telling him he has to make it link. Everything yeah. you hate about it was them telling and everything you liked about it was still him. So I guess Marvel is like just stupidly cheap. Like the amount of money they pay people is like unbelievably low. So like they offered for Iron Man 2, they offered Mickey Rourke like 
I'm not kidding, like $275,000. That was our first offer. And then well, I got, well, it's like it's like Pawn Stars, you know, you bid low. But but for a guy, no, that's ridiculous. Like $275, like that's like that's like TV actors make more than that. That's ridiculous. Well, like the first Iron Man, uh, who was it? Uh, the the black guy, the army guy. Who's that guy? That character? Terrence, uh, Terrence, what's his name? Uh, yeah, he was actually the highest paid actor in the first Iron Man movie. That's yeah. actually, yes, that's actually why, that's why why he didn't come back in the second one was because they didn't want to pay him. I, I heard it's because he was a jerk on set. Eh, well. I guess it was a, a bit of both. Like, he was a big paid jerk on set. It's like, okay, you're being a jerk, we're not going to pay that much. And I think the, I think who they got to replace him was a much better actor. Eh, I don't think he was any better or worse. Don Cheadle's a much better actor. Oh, can we talk about Maggie Gyllenhaal versus Katie Holmes in Batman then? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's like that's like picking a shit sandwich or a diarrhea soup. <laughs> <laughs> Where are the bombs? <laughs> yeah. So today was my last day at work at my current place of employ. I start a new job on Monday. Where are you going to work at? Uh, I'm going to work for a. Um, for uh, an internet company that uh, provides a ser- software as a service solution. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sounds pretty secretive. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, it's a, the place I'm leaving is is GameStop Corporate, where I was doing their email marketing. Now I'm moving, working for an e-commerce company. So, uh, you know, one of my first jobs was actually at Funko Land back before it was bought out by GameStop. I loved their commercials. Where do you think you are? Funko Land. That was a cool job. The thing was, you could actually get, um, God, what was it? This is like in 1995, though, so you got to think of inflation. So these are big numbers. Think of like if you, what was it? If you sold magazine subscriptions or the cleaning kits, I think it was like everyone you sold, you basically got two dollars thrown on your check. So you could actually, you know, it added up pretty quickly in the holidays. Back knew, then, you know, that was two dollars was like a hundred dollars. So yeah. Yeah, I knew a guy that worked for GameStop for. Only about three months until he was fired. You know, want to know how he was fired? I give up. Okay, it's a, this guy's an asshole, by the way. But I knew him for I don't know why I even knew him. But <laughs> basically, he he had this plan where if someone came in with a with a game or a console, and they wanted to trade it in for credit because that's what he did then trade it in for credits or right now it's points instead of credits. So, right. Uh, anyways, he. Uh, he bought it for them with cash, immediate cash, which was worth less than the value of the trade-in because he he had a lot of cash on hand. And he's like, I'll just, I'll just buy that for me. And then he used his uh, and then he used his employee uh, his employee account to get higher credit than usual on all these trade-ins. Hmm. Yeah, that's a little dubious. Yeah. <laughs> I remember back when I uh, when I worked there, the PlayStation One had just come out. And every PlayStation 1 owner was exactly the same. The demographic was just um, straight as an arrow. It was um, like 25-year-old guys with dirty starter jackets and frumpy-looking girlfriends. That was the only demographic at the PlayStation's launch. And they'd come, in, they'd come in every week, and they would trade two of the six available games to get one new game. They're like, oh, man, I'm going to trade in Battle Area Toshida and, and uh, something else so I can get Jumping Flash. And every single fucking one of them asked... Where Madden was, and of course we joked, it was like, "Haha, wouldn't it be funny if Madden got pushed back till next season?" And then, of course, it did. So that was funny. Uh, yeah, I, I waited until PS2 to get a PlayStation. I, I traded in uh, an SNES. Actually, it was two SNESs and uh, and the Chrono Trigger. 
Final Fantasy 3. You I traded in Chrono Trigger? Uh-oh! Am I gonna get I'm gonna get hell I'm not gonna get hell for this. Chrono Trigger is a pretty rare game. Yeah, yeah, I, I had a level 99 character in the same spot with about 80 playthroughs and stuff. I was just bored of it. God, I just thought something cool. It'd be cool to have, make a show like Pawn Stars, but have it be at a video game shop, like in San Francisco, you know, where people would actually buy the games. Who's going to be uh, the Chum Lee then? Uh, I don't know. I, I was so bad, like, season three showed up on Netflix streaming. I'm like, oh, great. There goes much of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You got. You got. I guess you got to have a Chumley. I think Chumley is like the freaking star of that show now. But that's all right. Those shows, I noticed, they always have to have um. An they idiot. Have have, they have to have, yeah. They have to have a character to dump on. Ghost hunters like that. And I think it's hilarious. After every commercial break or where the commercial would be on Pawn Stars, they show random shots of customers, and they always have like a uh, like a down the cleavage shot in every every random shot. It's and I even noticed because I'm into film editing and stuff too. I noticed like they actually use the same. Stock footage of this one hot chick over two different episodes. So, well, what I love, what I love is the episode where the old man was sleeping, mm-hmm. and the Chumley says, "Well, I sleep at work all the all the time." And Rick's like, "You don't sleep at work. Where do you sleep?" And Chumley's like, "I'm not telling because then you'll be able to find me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I've worked with people like that. <laughs> We've all worked with people like that. I think that's safe to say. I heard that one of the reasons that Ice Age 3 was so successful in international markets was that Fox actually bothered to get local stars and celebrities for the certain markets to do the voiceover work, and that's one of the reasons it was so successful. Uh, not really. People don't usually look at that. I mean, we got two famous pop singers to to make the voices in, in Tangled. However, they most people weren't aware of this. There wasn't... Hmm. A lot of advertising over that. Uh, but yeah, at least these were good voice actors, actually. They have worked <laughs> before. I believe the the woman who did the voice for Rapunzel was the same girl that worked in Anastasia and even did the song. It's Thalia, I think, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. A Mexican singer, that's... That poor Rapunzel movie, they, they rolled the 10-year development cost into the budget, so now it'll never make a dime. Wow. Now, Glenn Keane had been working on that movie basically since Treasure Planet, so it's, you know, like the first Star Trek or the Superman Returns, like, that's what they do. They roll all, I mean, Star Trek movie, that that was, like, trying to happen all through the 70s, so once it did happen, he's like, look at Star Trek, the motion, the motionless picture, you know? The motion sickness. Yeah. That's like that's the budget is like forty five million dollars. It's like how the fuck did they spend forty five million dollars on that movie? They didn't, but all through the seventies, all the work they did trying to make Star Trek, they rolled it into the budget once it happened. Same thing with Brian Singer Superman Returns. You know how yeah. they, the Tim Burton Superman Returns or Superman Lives? You know? Yeah, I, it, I've seen the Kevin Smith video. Yeah, and the fifth, the Nick Nick Cage had a fifteen million dollar pay or play, so they didn't make that movie, but he still got paid fifteen million dollars to not be Superman. He got anyway. A, they got to take his picture of him with atrocious hair in the suit. Did you see those those pictures that surfaced online recently of the suits they were trying to do? Yeah, the glow the dark, the glow in the dark suits. That was like that was like Joel Schumacher shit. Anyway, what I'm saying is, all those costs got rolled into the 2006 Brian Singer Superman movie costs. And people who badmouth Hollywood math, <laughs> people who badmouth the Brian Singer film, watched the Kevin Smith Superman video 
and you will understand how lucky we were. Oh yeah, the uh, the the Tim Burton one would have been atrocious, like with the giant spider, because spiders are the most fierce killer in the uh, insect kingdom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you you and me understand Superman because we're from the street. I grew up on the street. <laughs> And then I went to see Wild Wild West, and what 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 else? A big fucking spider. <laughs> his 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 Prince rant is almost as good as that rant. because uh, Prince has like forty songs in a vault somewhere that'll never be released. Wait, so Kevin Smith talked about this? Prince, yeah, yeah. Because apparently to get on the Prince's complex, you have to sign like all these waivers and stuff saying that you're not going to talk about anything about it. And how somehow Kevin Smith is able to walk around that. But just saying, yeah, I'll sign him later or something like that. And he has all these stories about how weird Prince is. Mm-hmm. That's just awesome. It's like 20 minutes of kids talking about all these weird things that happened when he was at Prince's Complex. Like Kevin Smith filmed a Prince music video that will never air because Prince has like 40 songs that you that we have never heard. <laughs> I think Kevin Smith is actually much more interesting to listen to podcasts than he is a filmmaker. There I said it. Well, I think the biggest thing about Kevin Smith is he's, like, famous enough to where he gets invited to these places, but he's a normal guy enough to know that this is weird as fuck, and he's willing to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's totally entertaining to listen to. I just don't think his movies are all that great. Well, I know, but I'm just saying that that's where he is. He's, like, famous enough to where he gets invited, but he's, but he's like, he's, like, normal enough to know that this is weird. Right, right. Yeah, his, uh, the, uh, his Batman, I'm sorry, Superman lives... Uh, rant is yeah it's 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 legendary and like what was it like who was it there's a gay r2d2 and he needed a, a chewy for the movie so that's why superman wrestled polar bears or something oh no brainiac wrestled polar bears and, and he killed one and let the other one go so the uh, peter people didn't get mad i have to admit though looking back in retrospect i actually kind of would have been interested to see remember <laughs> when jj abrams had his superman pitch remember and then it got leaked on the internet and everyone hated it and that's one of the reasons it never happened do you remember that yeah, but uh, really, another one of uh, Kevin Smith's best rants was the uh, was actually the, the Tim Burton rivalry one. What was that one about? Well, basically, uh, you know, Kevin Smith has like a comic book bridging uh, Chasing Amy and uh, Dogma called Chasing Dogma. And at the end of this comic book, James Island Bob arrive at the Lincoln Memorial and the head on it is an ape. <laughs> and, and then, and then uh, Planet of the Apes came out. And uh, Tim and uh, Kevin Smith is, was interviewed by one of his friends, and Kevin Smith jokingly said, and he was laughing when he said it to his friend, "Yeah, I'm really bad. I think I, I think I'm going to pursue my legal options." And then this guy actually quoted him saying that in this uh, news article, and uh, and, and uh, this this reporter actually called Tim Burton and said, "Yeah, the 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 your uh, it, it asked Tim Burton's agent, hey." Does your does your client have any comments on this? And at first the agent says, "Of course not." And then ten minutes later, the agent called back and actually, Mr. Burton does have some comments. And and the first comment was uh, was uh, I will never read anything written by Kevin Smith. And the second one was I will I've never read a comic book. And Kevin Smith said on stage, "That explains Batman." <laughs> <laughs> wow. And then, and then, Kevin's like, "What'd you do to me?" To to this reporter he knew, and the reporter's like, "Well, actually, like ten minutes after I said the story, the uh, uh, Tim Burton called back and said more things like your wife's fat and." <laughs> <laughs> 
the scissor hands came out. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't know if I agree with Kevin Smith on that part because I'm kind of a fan of the original Batman. So, so was he. So was he. But it's like, you know, the Joker killed Bruce Wayne's parents, really? It makes more sense in the story. Yeah. At least, at least Kevin's, Kevin, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Tim Burton. Michael, Michael Keaton was like, rawr, 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 the whole movie. Uh, yeah, well, really, I, Mr. I to, Mom? Mr. Mom playing Batman? I used to really like Tim Burton, but I'd say for about the last 14 years, he's just been a parody of himself. So I guess I don't like him anymore. He always casts the giant Depp and what's her name? Helena Bone Carter's wife. Yeah. So what's it like? It's like, so John, uh, Tim Burton's at work, like saying, action, I am the Red Queen, blah, 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 blah. And then he goes home and's like, hey, honey, how was your day? Well, you were there all fucking day. You know how it is. I mean, <laughs> how does that marriage work? Don't they get sick of each other? Uh, I, I think I think uh, I think Tim Burton is actually a construct of uh, of fear and hopes and lost dreams that just sort of formed itself into a goth like shape. <laughs> he he did direct my favorite movie ever, Ed Wood. So I'll give him some credit. Yeah. But now, ugh, don't care. Planet of the Apes. What the hell was that? Yeah, Marky Mark. Ugh, why is he a movie star? As much as we can all hate Planet of the Apes, it's not as bad as Alice in Wonderland. I believe that's his worst. Uh, no, he made worse than that. I uh, I will go I will go against every geek fiber in the world, and I did not care for Mars Attacks. I did not. No, I don't even have to say I didn't get it. It's not funny. There, I said it. Sorry. Uh, come on, you got you, you have you have one of the most famous singers ever Don't fighting Martians. It, ben. <laughs> it's based it's based off of a series of cards drawn by Wally Wood. It doesn't matter. The purpose it's I just I was like, what the hell is with this movie? It's like fake as hell and it's like he made Ed Wood and he's like, Oh, I'm going to make a hundred million dollar bad movie. I mean <laughs> that, make, you know, I, I would love a... I would love to be able to do that, but ugh. <laughs> Actually Batman returns I have tried. I saw that in the theater when I was, I don't know, 15. <clears throat> I, I've st- tried to like that movie, but I just can't like it. I tried. I watched it on Netflix a couple years ago. You know, you, know, at, you know, as corny and bad as that Catwoman is, that Catwoman was still better than Halle Berry's. Uh, oh. Well, well, oh, remember at the end of Catwoman? She's fighting Sharon Stone, and Sharon Stone's like, you can't defeat me. My skin is hard as marble. And then she's like, game over. And Halle Berry goes, it's overtime. Oh that's, my! That's a God. great. That's God. a great. It's a bad movie, but it's a good. It's a great bad movie. Like when that she's like laying there dead, and they basically stole the plot from the uh, the crow and, and and the Batman animated series. There was there, they stole plenty of that, but she's laying there dead, and there's all those cats around her, and then this completely obvious CGI cat walks up on her, and then it there's a <laughs> Halle Berry point of view. The cat breathes. Magical green smoke in her face. Which <laughs> that movie was so awesomely bad. The Crow. Uh, I mean, it wasn't Dungeons and Dragons awesomely bad. But it was pretty bad. <laughs> oh, uh, oh yeah. I saw Kung Fu Panda two uh, this week. It was nice. Did they do the DreamWorks space? Oh yeah, of course. It's Kung Fu Panda. The two. Uh, what is that? I'm not familiar with that. It's. Every, every DreamWorks character does the smirk where, like, one eyebrow goes up and the the, the attitude face. Oh, okay. I can, see. I don't. I don't. I don't bother watching them. I don't have any kids, so I don't have to watch every Madagascar Twelve or anything. So I just pick and choose. 
Okay, uh, take a look. <laughs> I just uploaded it in the chat. Oh, B movie. That's terrible. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, I, I, like I, I get it. The, the DreamWorks face in all its glory. <laughs> what? That's funny. Yeah, okay, that stick figures are funny. Yo. <laughs> well, that's right. They made that Fish Tales movie about fish that like stood upright for some reason. Stood up to sharks, oh. yeah. Shark Tale, actually. Shark Tale, yeah. With uh, Will uh, Smith. Yes, because there's nothing kids like more than a Godfather parody. I heard that uh, Paramount might, they're going to do their own studio and they might dump DreamWorks as a distributor. Hmm. 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 Yeah, I read that. Very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, I guess DreamWorks stock has been getting better lately because after like Shrek 4 and uh, Megamind and uh, Kung Fu Panda have all underperformed. Was it underperformed? Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I like how they sum up the DreamWorks movie. Uh, there are talking animals, and they do things animals normally don't do, and they make this face. <laughs> <laughs> That's a DreamWorks movie. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm, I'm, not, I'm not defending them by any means, but... <laughs> it doesn't mean they, they can't make good movies, I guess. I mean, when Shrek came out, it was, you know, it was pretty fresh. I mean, yeah. No, Shrek was hilarious when it came out. It's been out. beaten into the ground. The world needs less Will Smith movies. But Will Smith is our only movie star, didn't you know? Well, the problem with Will Smith is he plays one character. He plays Will, Will Smith. Smith. Yeah. Don't talk about Will Smith. He saved a world from aliens for a whole summer. Uh, like five times. Wasn't well, it funny, yeah. like, the Men in Black 3, they were trying to save money by filming it in two parts, but they've already gone, like, far over budget, and that's ridiculous. Hollywood, God. Yeah, Will Smith. I don't think it's Will Smith's fault that they started filming it without a complete script. Oh, is he going to say, oh, hell no, nah, in that movie? He, I've you got know, to give you one of these. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he will. Oh, hell no. Nah. I'm like, why the hell does anyone think a sequel to the not-as-successful Men in Black 2 Ten years later, it's going to be... Oh, I just hope they don't make Ghostbusters 3. I just hope that dies on the vine. <laughs> they made Ghostbusters 3. It was called Ghostbusters the video game. Well, Ghostbusters 2 was already not good enough, but... We don't have, you, to... have you played Ghostbusters the video game? Uh, no. It's it's hilarious because it actually has a lot of the humor from the first movie again. Doesn't it take place like in 1992 or something? Like yeah. Right the first, the second movie. Yeah. Second movie. It's actually it's actually hilarious because you play the new guy who they utterly disrespect and abuse. It's actually it's like they actually play the real characters where you, it's like, oh great, I'm actually with the Ghostbusters. They're treating me like they really would, like shit. <laughs> <laughs> this job is not worth eleven five a year. Yeah, <laughs> that was a lot of money back in 1984. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, no, actually, it's really worth playing because it's. Because, like I said, it, it really does capture it correctly without any of the codification Ghostbusters 2 had. Hmm. You know, the only part I liked in Ghostbusters 2 was where they did the fake commercial. And, uh, oh, God, who plays Janine? Uh, the new Janine? Uh, no, no, no. Janine. She's the same. Oh, what's, no, don't tell me I know this. Oh, I can't remember her name in real life. But it's like she's her and uh, Rick Moranis are uh, doing the commercial, and she's like, "Oh no, it's that darn ghost again! Why yeah. won't he leave us alone?" <laughs> That's the only part of the movie sequel I liked. Yeah, 
<laughs> we will continue our conversation with Ben Heckendorn in a supplementary episode.